I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams Going boom, boom, boom To my own song Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. All I gotta do is count one, two, three to my own drum. Whatever you do, it ain't nothing on me because I'm doing my thing and I hold the key to all my wants. I'm really excited today. I have uh, a name that a lot of local folks are going to recognize and those who haven't uh, heard of this guest before probably will be doing some tuning in via the uh, networks that we have available to us these days. But I welcome Amanda Curran. Hey, how are you? Absolutely wonderful. So glad to have you on. And I'm excited to find out a little bit more about you. We all see you on screen quite a bit, but I'm going to start out with Amanda. Who do people know you as both personally and professionally? Uh, So most people who know me uh, professionally know me as a meteorologist at WSFA 12 News in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, But people who know me personally, and I'd hope also professionally on air, uh, know me as Probably someone who comes off very outgoing, uh, very outspoken, maybe a little loud, a little sarcastic. I like to tell people, uh, I want to say it was maybe like sixth grade, my science teacher called me spunky in my yearbook. And I was like, boom, spunky. That that is the word. Kind of like a little bit of sass, but like also, you know, I'm put together and uh, professional. So I think spunky is the best word to describe me. I think that that fits with my personality. Um, and I think the big thing that I hope people identify me as is authentic, both in my everyday life with people that I love. Um, but then also the people that I bring weather forecasts to every single day. Well, when you say the word spunky, I mean, there's a lot of brains that go behind what you do professionally. So how did you even decide that you wanted to be involved in such a science? Yeah. So as a child, people are always like, what's your story? How did you get into it? And I would say 99% of the meteorologists I know, it was a a phobia that turned into an interest or a big snowstorm or hurricane, a tornado outbreak that said, I want to do that. For me, there was never really like a here's the defining moment. It was just always something that was ingrained in me, whether it was a hobby. I loved watching the Weather Channel, Local on the Eights, as a lot of meteorologists did when they were kids. Um, But clouds really interest me. And I think there was just a fascination of like, what are those big white puffy things floating in the sky? And I tell this to kids when I go on school visits. I'm like, I remember asking my parents and I think my mom said like, oh, they're made out of cauliflower or cotton candy or something like that. And I was like, I'm calling you on that. That sounds like B.S., 
And so I think it maybe just was like this inherent, like want to know as much as I could and to understand as much as I can. Uh, when I was 10 years old, we had a family trip to Disney and it was the first time I ever was going to be ever on a plane. Um, 9-11 happened, September 11th happened. Our trip was November. And so I remember being told, Hey, like the airports are shutting down. We don't know when they're going to open up. We might not go on our trip. And I was heartbroken, obviously, because everything that was happening on TV. But then also, like, I was so excited to be on a plane because I knew I was going to be in the sky and I was going to be in the clouds. Uh, So everything did open back up. Uh, So the first time on an airplane, I got violently ill the night before. Like, I worked myself up. My parents were like, oh, my gosh, she's sick. She's throwing up. We can't go. We've been saving and, like, planning this trip for over a year and a half. Um, and I just remember I, I threw up at the airport. I threw up when we landed. Like I was so excited. And my parents were like, Oh, you poor thing. You're sick. I'm like, I'm gonna be in the clouds. Like this is badass. I was just so jazzed. And so that was, I was 10 years old then. Um, and so it's just always been a hobby and they didn't really get to a serious, this is what I could do for a profession until maybe ninth grade in high school. I took a computer science class. And our assignment was to make an actual pamphlet to tell somebody, this is the career and job I want. And this is all the information you would need to know about it. So I remember asking my computer science teacher, Mr. McDonough saying, Hey, like, I really like weather. Is that, is that a profession? He goes, Oh yeah, you could be a meteorologist. And so I was like, okay, meteorologist, put it in the little computer thing and found all this stuff. And that was kind of the catalyst that turned into, oh, wait, I can actually do this for a living. I can go to college to learn more about it, more than what I could learn in elementary school, high school. And it's something that I could do. And so I think it just really combines my love and passion for weather. My father's a retired police officer. My mom is a nurse. So I always was very much surrounded by service-based people. And my mom taught me really, really young that money can't always help people, but your time is invaluable. And so I kind of see it as like, it's my way of helping people. I don't do well with blood. So I don't think I could have been a nurse. Um, but so it's kind of my way of I'm helping people, but then also taking what I think are my strengths, talking a passion and love for weather. And it kind of was just without being too punny, like the perfect storm. It all just kind of fell into place and worked out. Well, a lot of it is hard work too. I mean, oh, you- yeah your education. Is there something that, that still makes you kind of struggle or, or work toward or try to figure out, or do you kind of have it all together at this point? I definitely don't have it all together. That's for sure. For me, I mean, the the crazy thing about meteorology and weather in general, it's science, but it's not an exact science. And I don't think it ever will be an exact science. We always call it textbook. So if something happens textbook, it's exactly how the atmosphere should interact with these elements and these ingredients. But I mean, the forecast is rarely ever textbook. This is exactly what should happen. So I think that's part of the exciting thing is you're always learning and it's always different. And it's it's never something that you can master. I remember there's this one guy on Twitter. I can't even remember who it was, but it was like a chief meteorologist in Boston. I grew up in New England. So Boston was a big source of weather information for me. And his Twitter bio was like, a better forecast, please. Ain't nobody got God on line one. And that really resonated with me because like, (laughs) you're right. I mean, nobody will ever be perfect 100% of the time. And even if we strive to have the best, most accurate information at the end of the day, 
it's something that we as meteorologists are constantly learning. So even though I have my degree and I have a, an understanding of what's going to happen, there are plenty of times when mother nature throws a curveball that nobody sees, not me or the meteorologists I work with at the station, other competing stations, national weather service offices, um, national government organizations. We could all be on the same page about the forecast. And it's just like mother nature puts a little spin to it. And it's like, wow, that just reminds you how fascinating and interesting weather is and how we have absolutely no control over any of that. Yeah. So I heard you say one time that when it is textbook, that's probably the most frightening. Yeah. Especially when it comes to severe weather. Um, because if you are talking about textbook, um, velocity signatures or things on radar, those are usually the storms that cause the most damage, the storms that have the biggest impact to property and life. Um, cause let's be honest in a meteorology textbook, they're not going to put, Oh, here's what a little EF one looks like. We're usually going to be talking about the cat five hurricanes or the, the strong tornadoes that were super destructive. So we usually don't say that much, but if it's a textbook situation, it's usually something we have a lot of high confidence in. And uh, yeah, especially when it comes to severe weather, being textbook is not necessarily a good thing. It's a good thing because we have a really good understanding of it, uh, but it's usually not a good thing because impact wise, it's probably going to cause issues. Yeah. So does it give you some kind of angst sometimes of like, you're kind of excited that that's coming, but that would be wrong. Yeah. That's a struggle in the broadcast meteorology field because like I said earlier, like we get into this because we want to help people. Like they, when I first started in college, my freshman year, it's like, we got a reality check. If you're trying to do this for money and you're trying to do this because you want to see your face on TV, like you're not in the right profession. So the people that you see on your local affiliates, I can't speak for every single one of them, but I'd say 95% of them are good hearted people who just want to help people. And when it comes to meteorologists in particular, most of us have a love and fascination for how the atmosphere works and how beautiful and chaotic and destructive it can be. And so, yeah, I don't, I would never wish for a category five hurricane because I know that's going to cause destruction. I'd never wish for an EF five tornado, but at the same time, it's like, we are mesmerized by it as would a lot of people, even if you don't have a meteorology degree. Now, if you could tell me that an EF5 tornado was going to happen in the middle of a field and it would cause no threat to life, property, or anybody's well-being or livelihood, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. Let's go see that. But yeah, it is a double-edged sword because you know the stronger the storm, the higher likelihood it's going to cause impact to people. At the end of the day, we love being wrong. If a severe weather risk underperforms, we love that because we're like, good. It's not hurting anybody. It's not harming anybody. Um So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because we do, we do get excited and you got to temper that though, because at the end of the day, the more important thing is not my fascination with weather, it's people's livelihood and their safety. Yeah. So do you find um, that you have to have a pretty thick skin because (laughs) when you're wrong, people are like, yeah, you were just so wrong. Or, you know, they've got all these things that they may say to you or of you. So how how do you develop that thick skin? And I know some of it's just with time and experience, but I'm sure along the way, people uh, gave you some advice and so get there. I, I always like to tell this story. So I think my thick skin started when I was in like middle school. It must've been between like fourth and sixth grade. I just remember my mom tells this story. Uh, I came home and I told her I hated myself. It must've been something 
like somebody at school didn't want to talk to me or my friends, you know how kids are sometimes. I mean, our brains aren't fully developed, so we don't truly understand that like friendship when you're in fourth grade is not always, kids can sometimes be cruel. So something happened at school. And I remember my mom tells the story. I came home and I said, I hate myself. And my mom was just like, oh, hell no, we ain't doing this. Okay. She goes, I picked you up so quickly and brought you in the bathroom and stuck you in front of the mirror and say, repeat after me. I like myself. I love myself. And so I was like, I like myself. I love myself. And she goes, no, you're going to say it until I know that you mean it. And so I think that was a really fundamental part of, okay, this skin is getting thick and it's getting thick before I knew even what I was going to turn into. So as a child, I don't, I don't ever remember being like this, like personality loud, blah, 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 blah. I feel like sometimes I'm an intro, I'm an extroverted introvert because I like my, my own time, but I mean, I can make friends with a brick wall too, but doesn't necessarily mean I always want to. I feel like I do good in public settings and with strangers and I'm able to make conversations, but I also like this time where I get to recharge and be alone and be by myself. So I think as a kid, I would have never fathomed being on TV. I don't ever remember like being the center of attention. And then people go like, you don't like attention, then why are you on TV? So it's like this fun platform where I'm like, I was never a girly girl. I never really liked being the center of attention. What did I turn into? Somebody who literally goes on TV and has to be hair and makeup ready in a pretty dress every single day. So I don't think my mom was ever prepared for like the future and what it was going to take me. But I think it all started in that pivotal moment where I came home and I had moments of self-doubt as a child. And you don't completely understand that, but I like myself. I love myself. That's where thick skin first started for me. And then obviously nobody teaches you in college that some people are just not going to like you. And that's a lesson that I had to teach myself. And I always use the analogy that, especially down here in Alabama, being in the South, you can be the juiciest, ripest peach. And there are still people who don't like peaches because I am one of those people. I don't like peaches. I wasn't, I was raised up North. We never had canned peaches. I didn't have my first peach until I moved down here. So I was 22 when I had my first peach and that sounds nuts. I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong, but I I don't reach for peaches. There's nothing wrong with me not liking peaches. That just is a great example of like, you could be the best, prettiest, perfect, smartest, most articulated person. They're just going to people who don't like you. And the sooner that you realize that your worth doesn't come from people, it comes from yourself. You're going to be way better off. I'm not going to say that I like walked in day one, knowing that, that that comes with time and experience, but I feel like I've always kind of had a thick skin. And sometimes being a woman, you just growing up have to have thick skin. Because people just like to give you their opinion unsolicited a lot of the times. A lot of the time. And yeah. we've given more and more platforms for that. So it's, oh, yeah. uh, and, and hidden platforms. But you are in a ratings industry. And so you mm-hmm. do have to play some of the games. And you, you made reference to, you know, you have to do hair, makeup, pretty dress. Um, so how do you embrace that, but yet be really strong and smart? And, you know, just kind of how do you blend all of the parts of Amanda and not feel like you're selling out on anything? Um, I think the big thing is, is you just have to do it your way. So I don't do my hair how someone tells me to do my hair. I do my hair how I like it. Because if I go on TV and I feel confident, don't get me wrong, when I'm not on TV, it's, there's no in between. It's no makeup or it's full face. So these, this like trend right now of like, no makeup, effortless makeup look. I I don't know how to do that. (laughs) I got one look 
I got two looks actually. It's nothing or everything. And so, but when I go on TV, I just feel like I'm going to be taken more seriously for the words that I'm saying and the forecasts that I'm giving. If my presentation of myself is not distracting, I don't have bright purple hair and I'm not, you know, like got piercings all over my face, bright purple hair and piercings. That's not a problem. I, I think anybody, if that's what makes you feel confident, I'm just very simple. I like classic things. I'm not a super trendy person. So I make sure when I buy dresses that they're good and they're going to, they fit nicely and that I'm also kind of cheap. So if I buy a dress, I want to be able to wear it in 10 years. So my big thing is, is that if I'm not distracted by my hair and makeup and my clothes, then you at home as the viewer are not going to be distracted because the goal I get is visually I mean, obviously you want to look professional, but my presentation of myself and what I look like shouldn't distract from the overall messaging of what I'm giving. Um, so that's why I don't go on TV um, with like crazy makeup and my hair's wild and I'm wearing the brightest dress possible. Sometimes it's fun though to switch it up a little bit, but at the yeah. end of the day, it's, it's not about what I'm wearing. It's not about what my face looks like. Because there have been times where in a severe weather situation, I would have never fathomed about going on TV without makeup. And I did it once and it was so liberating. But like it was, it was a situation where you just had to do it. We were, I was training a weekend meteorologist. It was her first weekend by herself. There was a severe weather risk. And I said, hey, I'm going to be just down the road at a, a biscuits game in downtown Montgomery. Biscuits for those. No, that's not the food biscuit. Biscuits baseball. Um, and the second I got there, a tornado warning popped and I said, gotta go ran back to the station. I threw on a button up shirt really quick. And I went on TV with no makeup and it was such a good feeling. Cause it was like, the focus is not on what my face looks like. Nobody said a thing. Nobody said, oh, wow. She's on TV without makeup. It was, here's the information that's actually critical and important. And so at the end of the day, it's just being able to say that I'm showing the Amanda that I want to show. and. There will be some people out there who say, I don't like your makeup. I think your hair is gross. I don't like what you wear. And that's their opinion. And they have the right to their opinion. Um, but at the end of the day, I just try to do whatever makes me feel the most confident and comfortable. Because if it's distracting to me, it's definitely going to be distracting to the viewer. Well, and that's a perfect lesson for the the one you were training. It's really interesting because it it sounds like you've just kind of waded through a lot of factors that could throw you completely off. So if you're thinking about your career and you wanted to, to help somebody along, is that the kind of advice you would give them? And I, and I heard you talk, you said something about your classic choices in your wardrobe. Wardrobe is a big thing. It can make you spend a lot of money. How do you handle oh, yeah. it? Um, well, so I'm just a naturally really frugal person. I've always been really good at saving money. And so my big thing is, is like, you don't have to spend a million dollars to look like a million dollars. There's always a promo code. There's always a coupon and you can always find it somewhere for cheaper. So I would say I have over a hundred dresses and all of that's been accumulated over the past eight years that I've worked um, on TV. And most of those dresses are still in style work and are great. And my favorite part is, is that most of them I've gotten at a discount between like 60 to 80% off. I mean, I buy some stuff brand new at Goodwill, brand new with tags on it, designer stuff. And the viewer at home has no idea that I was thrifted. Maybe it's secondhand. Maybe I bought it off of another newscaster because it doesn't matter where it came from. And so in my eyes too, being someone who's in a science-based field, 
if I can do something that one saves me money, because who doesn't like saving money? Two, I look presentable. And three, I'm doing something good for the planet where I'm not adding to the overall waste of clothes and clothes being just thrown away into these landfills. So if I'm repurposing something or recycling something, whether it's a plastic bottle or a dress, I mean, it's the same concept to the fact that this is bringing new lights to something and the viewer at home has no idea. So I get compliments on his dresses and I always go, thanks. It was $10. I got this brand new with tags because somebody else's, you know, oh, I need to donate and get rid of this could be another person's hey, that's perfect. That works exactly for my needs. So a lot of, a lot of trials, you trial and error is a big thing. You, you try something, you go, that didn't work. We won't do that again. Or you find something that works, you go, I'm going to do that. You ever find a dress and then you love it in one style? I'm like five and 10 colors. Let's go. That's funny. So where'd your confidence come from? I mean, I, it sounds to me like your mom did some serious, let's address this like yourself, love yourself. But where did this wealth of confidence come from? The crazy part is, is I'm so glad that you think I'm confident because I have days where I am not confident at all. And I mean, I think everybody does. We're humans. No human is a hundred percent confident 100% of the time. Uh, the problem is, is what I do for a living. You have no idea. I could be having the worst day of my life and I come on TV and I gotta be bright and sunny And because nobody wants to watch the girl on TV who's like, oh, she's dragging me down because she's in a bad mood or she had something bad happen. But we're all human. And sometimes we have to be able to kind of pull that confidence from within, whether your confidence bank is super low, you still got to have a little something in there. But so, I mean, I have good days and bad days, just like everybody else. I do think that um, faking it till you make it. I like that because it's like, you know, sometimes you just got to do it, but I don't ever want to be fake. So it's not necessarily fake it till you make it. It's kind of like, you just got to find that inner confidence. Sometimes you just have to know that it's there. Even if you don't feel it, sometimes I have to convince myself. I think um, talking to yourself kindly is very important. I think that talking to yourself in a negative way can be really harmful. And I can't sit here and say that I'm perfect. And I always think kind thoughts about myself, but I do think back to that moment a lot. I like myself. I love myself. I am a, i Good people sometimes don't have good days. And sometimes you just got to go, you know what? That day wasn't the best. We're just going to do it again tomorrow and start over and see if we can do better. So if I can, you know, try to be better than the day before, then we're just going to try. That's all you got to do. Sometimes you just got to try. And I know that sounds like so like antiquated to just take it down. Sometimes you just got to (laughs) try. Yeah. Well. What, how do you know, part of your career is based on trust. People have to trust you. They, mm-hmm. you, you had to come on day one and start to earn their trust. Um, but, but what makes you know that you can trust someone and how do you develop that sense um, that, that people can trust you? My big thing about trust, and this is more on like a personal side versus a professional side. My big thing is, is I give everyone the benefit of the doubt until you give me a reason to not trust you or give me a reason that you are not a trustworthy person. I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I think that we all have good in us. And I think we all sometimes can be good people and sometimes do bad things. Um, So my big thing is, is trust for me obviously is earned, but I give everybody the benefit of the doubt until you give me a reason to prove me wrong. 
Um, so when it comes to the professional side of that, I think consistency, honesty, being authentic, those are all things people want to be able to relate to somebody when they watch them on TV. And so for me, I'm going to be honest, just like I told you, sometimes I have bad days. I'm, I'm going to be honest with that when I'm on TV to a certain extent. I'm not just going to go on TV and mean, man, I had the worst day ever. But, you know, if I'm not feeling it some days, I'm just maybe not going to be as perky because I'm human. So I think the thing is, is being authentic. I think that's a really great bridge that you don't really think about it, but you're building trust with somebody because they go, hey, that's the real Amanda. And I know that when I see you on TV, that's the same Amanda that I'm going to see in Walmart because that is the same Amanda you're going to see at Walmart. I'm just like you. I tell people that all the time. People throw, I always say, I don't like the F word. And I don't like the C word, celebrity and famous. And I get what I do, highly visible. People know me, but I just tell, I, I'm the same person as you. I wake up every morning. I brush my teeth. I walk my dog. I go to work. My job is just more visual and more observed than other people's. Because we all go to work and do what we have to do to make money. But then at the end of the day, I'm still a person. I still make mistakes. I still have to pay bills. I still have problems. And so I think at the end of the day is people realizing, hey, she's also a person, just like I'm a person and she's just doing a job. That's just her chosen profession. I think that's a really nice way of building trust with somebody without even realizing that you're building that bridge with people. It just kind of happens very naturally. So I think that's kind of always been something that I strive to do. At the end of the day, you can call me any name in the book, but if you come up to me and say, you're not authentic, that would be like, oh, so crushing. That, yeah, that hurts because I try to be as open as possible, obviously, while still being professional. And I think that's a great way of building that bridge of trust with people. Yeah. You're, you're fairly young. Mm-hmm. And I think as being much older than you, that the stage of life you're in is a really hard one. It's a oh, hard yeah. one. To, you've come out of college. You've come out of, I mean, you've been in your career a good while, but but it's kind of a lonely place of how do you get to know people? How do you um, find something outside of your career? How do you build the life that you want? Do you find it challenging at times? And and what do you do about it? How do you make your world well-rounded? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm 30. I've been 30 now for about seven months. And like everybody talks about the dreaded, like you either are super excited about turning 30 or you were like, oh my gosh, my life is coming to an end. And I know that sounds very dramatic. Your life doesn't come to an end when you're 30. What I've told people in my seven months of being 30 is it's like my 20s with a little bit more money and a little bit more paid time off, which is very, very nice. And I, I understand myself a little bit better. I feel like I haven't changed a lot from my early 20s into my 30s, but I do feel like in the eight years that I've been here since graduating college, this is my first job out of college. I'm still here. Uh, my role has shifted and changed a little bit, but I feel like I've really grown up because I didn't have a choice. When you're 22 and you move 1300 miles away and it's like, pay your rent, pay your bills, buy your own groceries. I think to myself, I'm like, wow, I'm like a real full-fledged adult. But then I still have these feelings sometimes when I walk around, I go, oh wait, I'm the adult in the room. I, I don't believe it. So I'm like, but wait, I've been keeping myself alive, fed, healthy and paying my bills while also saving money and having a social life and having relationships and all this stuff. Like I'm doing the damn thing. I've been doing it for eight years. I have a dog. I love him to death. His name's Tanner. I adopted him like 
less than two weeks after I moved here because I was obviously very lonely. And um, I'm like, I keep him alive. He's a life. His whole life is in my hands. And yeah. I was like, and I've done that for eight years. I'm like, wow, I'm such an adult. But then I have those moments where I'm like, um, 401k, how do I invest money? Uh, taxes. And I'm like, I need an adult. And then I go, oh, I'm the adult. So I think it's a, a combination of it's a weird stage of life because a lot of people are still figuring out what do they want? Where do you want to go from here? And then also you add in social media. I mean, imposter syndrome is like the realest thing in the entire world. And it's sometimes it's hard because I try to be authentic, which means sometimes my highlight reel is not going to be a highlight reel. And I think we strive really hard as humans. We want to show everybody the good stuff. That's not real. Nobody has the picture perfect life. And I mean, I try to be as authentic as possible and be like, yeah, sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I'm like, where am I going from here? What's my life look like? But I'm a really big believer and everything happens for a reason. And I might not know what that reason is right now, but I hope in the future that I'll figure it out. And uh, I like to go with the flow a lot. I don't, I, I think it's important to have plans. I think the five-year plan uh, is a good thing, but I think we should also be open and honest with ourselves that you can't plan the future to a T. So being flexible is important too. So it's kind of like this overall bubble of chaos where it's like, sometimes you have a good day and you're like, I'm an adult, I'm doing this thing. And then sometimes you're like, oh my God, everybody else is having kids and buying houses and getting married. Am I behind? What's going on? Oh my God, I'm 30. I'm so old. You're not old in the grand scheme of things. You're not even, you might only be a third of the way through your life. And then I get gray hairs and I'm like, oh my God, I look old. And then I'm like, growing older is such, such a blessing to be able to say that you get to grow older every single day. That is such a blessing. Cause there are some people who do not get that opportunity or are not fortunate enough to be able to grow older. So it's like, you just have to appreciate it. You know what I mean? Because there are some people out there whose lives are cut short. I think that it's a really, it's all about perspective. And sometimes your perspective can get swayed by outside sources. You just need to know your perspective is the one that matters. But you've got to surround yourself with some people. How do you? Mm -hmm. Oh, can I tell you how hard it is to make friends as an adult? Like I, like I said earlier, like I can make friends with anybody, but I will say that I have a lot of people that I'm friendly with, but like my core group of people is very, very small. And that doesn't mean that your circle has to be small. If you want to have a big circle, have a big circle. Um, but I mean, I have still like the two best friends from high school. We've been, uh, one of my best friends, Aubrey, um, she lives on the West coast. I'm over here in the Gulf coast. We are in completely different time zones have been since we graduated college. We were away from each other when we were in college, but I texted her the other day. The first time we hung out was her 15th birthday, which was in August. And when she turned 30 in August, I said, we've been friends for half of your life. Isn't that crazy to think about? And so like that, I know that's a friendship that I will have forever and I adore her. And I think having the right people is super important, but I mean, it's trial and error. I mean, relationships are for a reason or first season and that's okay. Sometimes I think they're there to teach you something. Sometimes they're there to help you grow. Um, And sometimes you don't know what that reason or season is until after it's done. But I think surrounding yourself with people who make you happy And this is kind of a selfish thing to say, but like, if I'm going to give you my time and energy, I'm hoping that you're also bringing value to my life because having a one-sided relationship 
is not good for anybody involved. So if I'm giving, 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 which I think you should be able to give in relationships, I'm not going to sit here and say, I anticipate you to return the exact amount of energy. But if you're giving to somebody who doesn't do anything for you or depletes from you, that's not, that's not a healthy relationship to be in whatsoever. So I try to surround myself with people that I know that will bring me happiness, bring me joy and bring me good energy, positive energy. And then in return, I love to give that in return. I don't ever expect somebody to match my energy hundred percent, but the people that I know that will always be there, like my brother, my best friends, my mom, I know that if I needed to pick up the phone right now and I said, Hey, I need you. Boom. Where, where do you need me? What time you need me at? Boom. Those are the kind of people that you need in your life. Yeah. And I like the fact that it's like, they don't have to be in your neighborhood. I mean, across mm-hmm. the country kind of gives you a place to travel and things to, to Oh, to- I love it. My mom lives in a different time zone. My best friend lives on the other side of the country. My brother lives back up in new England. So I always am like, okay, when am I going to go to Los Angeles? When do I get to go to Colorado? When do I get to go back to Boston? And it's nice to have people in different places, but then also know with technology that they're just a phone call away. Those are the people that I, that I really try to surround myself with on a daily basis is if I know that I can call you at any time and vice versa, the same thing. Those people know that if they needed to call me, I'd drop anything to be there and be there for them. Those are the, the relationships that I think are the most valuable to me. Yeah. What do you do when you're particularly sad? If you hit one of those days or one of those seasons that you're just like, I don't want to be an adult anymore. I I don't want to have to work through this. Um, What can you turn to that, that is going to cheer you up or at least. Honestly, this is probably the worst answer ever. Food. (laughs) Food. (laughs) Oh gosh. Food. And this is like a whole other subject. We could have a whole two hour podcast on like, you, you don't realize like what your childhood like crap is until you turn into an adult. But like, I'll have those moments where like, if I don't want to feel what I'm feeling, I'll just walk to the pantry door and start. And I'm like, no, there's a reason why you're doing this. Let's, let's take a second to think about why are you trying to not feel the things that you are, that you're feeling? Cause I think it's really important to feel the things that you need to feel. And I think it's important to go through that. It might be uncomfortable in the moment, but yeah, I think I'm like a lot of people um, who sometimes just eat. And I wouldn't say that I do it in an unhealthy way or that it happens a lot, but food is very comforting. Um, well, it's so not yeah, sometimes I'll be like, just grab a book and grab a snack and sit on the couch. Was well, like, let's just grabbing. So what are you grabbing? Oh gosh. Anything. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the thing is it can be healthy too. I mean, yeah. like, I love a good salad. People who are like, ooh, salad. My dad used to always tell me when I was a kid, he's like, one day you're going to be an adult. You're going to go out to dinner with your girlfriends and drink martinis and eat salads. And I'm like, ew, salad sounds gross, dad. And so now I'm going to Mexican restaurants and drinking margaritas. (laughs) And I was like, my dad was right. I am going to Mexican (laughs) restaurants and drinking copious amounts of margaritas and tequila. But like, I love a good salad. I love, um, oh gosh, there's not a lot of things I don't like. So, but I, I would say that I eat relatively healthy, but like, sometimes it just feels good to be like, I know this bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's is bad, but it feels good. So I'm going to eat it. But the thing is, is like, it's all in moderation. I work out a lot and that's something that brings me joy too. So like another thing to go back to your initial question, if I don't want to feel something, I'm going to, I'm going to go work out. I'm like a really big orange Siri, uh, like Stan, as the kids say. 
when you're like a stand for something, I'm like, orange theory is like the best thing that happened to me three years ago. And I remember a couple of years before I even started a coworker of mine being like, you should try orange theory. I'm like, I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid. That's a cult. <laughs> I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I love it. I think the moral of the story is find what works for you. Yeah. And you don't know what works for you until you try it. There you go. There. Stand by. Somebody was trying to call me. There you go. All right, we're back. But yeah. I think the thing is, is a lot of people, if you don't understand something or it's foreign to you, they're like, ooh, that's bad. My big thing is, is you don't know you like something or dislike something until you try it. And sometimes by trying something new, you find something that you really, really like that you would have never known was inside of you. So when I just don't want to feel my feelings, I'll grab a snack, read a book or go work out. Well, you know, I find a lot of people I talk to that are working out or I've talked to a lot that have been in the jujitsu community and they, they tell me that a lot of times they solve a lot of problems in life on Mm -hmm. those mats or in the gym. We jokingly call orange theory, orange therapy, orange therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, a monthly membership to my orange theory gym is about the same cost of an hour with a therapist. So I'm like, I can get a month worth of gym and that's my orange therapy. Yeah. So we always joke about that, but a hundred percent, I feel like it's not for everybody. Working out's not for everybody, but I think that there's kind of just this instinctual, like, I'm not going to focus on this. And then you can kind of work out your issues while you don't even realize you're working out your issues while you're working out. So, yeah, yeah, you get it all, but you seem to really invest in yourself. So you invested in your education. You got prepared to be where Mm -hmm. you wanted to be as a meteorologist. You are growing in your community. Um, so you, you appear to be very intentional. Yeah, I would say that I am. I think um, no one else is going to invest in you. The only person who is with you from the beginning of your life to the end of your life, no matter how much anybody loves you or wants to be in your life, the only person that's going to be with you, like that ride or die person is you. Because I'm going to be here from start to finish, whether I like it or not, I'm in this with yeah. me. So I think you have to be intentional because there are going to be plenty of people who do want to feed into you. And those are relationships you really want to hold on to. But at the end of the day, no matter even with the best intentions, some relationships are going to end, whether it's because you want them to or not. And I think at the end of the day, the only person who's ever going to be there for you hundred percent is yourself. And I mean, if you're, we're talking relationships, I have a relationship with myself and sometimes I don't like myself. I hate to say that out loud, but there are times that I don't like myself, whether it's, I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way I look. I don't like this, that, or the other, but I have to realize that if I want my relationship with me to be good, I have to treat myself. Well, I have to be intentional on what I say to myself and I have to treat myself with kindness because this is the most important relationship in my life. What about your relationship with finance and with, with money? Being a single young lady, um, that's your responsibility. So mm-hmm. did you have to, did you grow up saving in a piggy bank? Or oh, did, yeah. Uh, you know, how did, what's your relationship with money as a young lady? Um, I think if you asked my mother when I was a kid or in high school, she would say that my relationship with money was unhealthy unhealthy in a sense that I saved too much. And she's like, it's okay to like have fun and do things with your money. So when I was a kid, I think like first grade, the local, I went to a very, very small school. I'm from a very small town. So like the local bank came in and said, we're going to open up a a savings account 
And every Tuesday, once a week, somebody from the bank will come. You have a little like checkbook that you fill out and you can bring any money. It could be a hundred dollars. It could be 10 cents. And we're going to bring it back to the bank and put it in your bank account. So, I mean, this is like the early 2000s. So this probably doesn't exist anymore, but that was such a very great, valuable thing because it taught me at a young age, oh, you go and see a relative, they give you a $5 bill. Well, what do you do with that $5? If you would have asked my brother, we were less than, we are less than a year apart. So you would think we grew up in the same time. Oh no, you give him $5 trying to spend 10 for me. You give me $5. I'm like, I'm going to save that $5 and guard it with my life. So maybe a little unhealthy amount of saving. I don't know where that came from, but I've always just kind of been frugal. Um, But I will say, I feel like I'm a very generous person. If I care about you or I love you, I really like to give to other people. And I really like seeing that satisfaction on someone's face when you give them like a really good gift, even if they're not like a, a gift person whether it's giving them an experience or giving, if I can give someone some kind of joy, there's no price tag on that for me. I'm going to do it because I'm like, that makes me feel good, but I also know it makes them feel even better. So I I think 90% of the time I'm frugal, (laughs) but it's, it's a balance. And I think the other thing is, is you just kind of learn, um, at the end of the day, I think it's really important to, um, you know, be honest with yourself and say like, Hey, if I have a champagne budget, I can get champagne, but, uh, you can't be getting caviar and champagne, not on a caviar and champagne budget. It's really easy for you to get outside of your means. So I feel like I've never gotten to that point. Thankfully. Um, I feel like I've always worked really hard for what I have too. My mom taught me that lesson as well. My mom is just such an overall good person. I'm glad we're talking. Cause I, I'm realizing I, I know all these great things about her, but it reiterates it. The other thing my mom taught me is that when I was a child, I mean, we didn't grow up poor, but we weren't rich. I'd say that, I mean, I had everything that I needed, but I had to work for the things that I wanted. My mom would never let me go without food or shelter or clothes, but did I need the best high-end brand of stuff? No, because that's not financially responsible to do. And so, especially when you're a kid growing out of stuff. So, I mean, like, did I always have the coolest clothes? No, but I always had clothes. And I always went back to school shopping every single year, like little things like that. I never realized as a kid, like that's not a luxury that everybody has. But so you always feel like you gotta, oh, I gotta have the latest and greatest to everything. I feel like that really ingrained in me is if I want something, I gotta work for it and I have to earn it. My mom taught me that lesson, especially with money very early on. It's just life is just not going to hand you free stuff and that you're going to have to work for what you want. And so I feel like that really ingrained in me. So when I was in college, I was always working two jobs. If I, if I needed gas in my car, I was working for it. If I wanted to go out with my friends and have dinner, I had to pay for it. So I think that kind of stuff kind of instilled in me. And then when I finally moved out on my own and I'm, you're doing all of it, I was like, okay, you got to do it. Cause if you don't do it, I mean, there's no other, there's no other outcome. You either do it or you don't. And so you just kind of have to do it. So I know that's really simplified, but that's just kind of how I went through it. No, I like that. And, and if you need further, um, guidance or when you, you mentioned four, okay, I've got to decide this. I've got to decide that. Mm-hmm. And there's so many questions, life insurance and um, this option and that option that you get faced with. And I, I was at dinner the other night with somebody that's um, head of a human resources in a, a company. And he said, you would not believe the number of parents that are calling to talk to him about the benefits mm-hmm. and he can't talk to them, but you know, it's like, so how, how did you, how do you 
feel about asking questions? Oh, you got to ask questions because if you don't ask questions, you're going to have to live with the consequences of not knowing. I think it's important to educate yourself. And I was never afraid to pick up the phone and be like, dad, help. What's this mean? I don't know how dads do it. I don't know if it's just like ingrained in them, but like car insurance, health insurance, I don't PPO deductible prescription. What, what is this? So, and if it's not him, I just try to ask, I always joke. I was like, I'm an adult, but I always try to find a more adult adult, someone who's adulting at a higher adult rate than I am. I like so that. Like, hey. And we still do that. I'm going mm-hmm. like, to look for that one. I know you're an, I know I'm an adult, but you seem like you're adulting a lot better than me. Can I ask you some questions? That's <laughs> no shame because hopefully one day, I mean, maybe I have already, but if somebody asks me a question, I give them an answer yeah. and maybe like, wow, you have it so put together. And I'm like, no, cause I'm still asking questions. I feel like life is constantly us just asking questions or Googling things. So don't be afraid to try new things and, you know, figure out what works and what doesn't work. And don't be afraid to ask questions. That's, I mean, I ask my coworkers all the time who I feel like are in a more adult stance. Maybe they have kids. I'm like, you've experienced this a little bit longer than me. What's this mean? Or what's that mean? Or what, what do you do? Do you mind sharing maybe how you went through it? Um, And they'll probably be able to give you some kind of guidance to their experience. And you can go, oh, that sounds like something that would work for me. Or "Mm, I don't really know if that's the way I want to do it. But information is power. So even if that information doesn't lead you to the exact answer, it might lead you closer to where you need to be going. Right. So in your career, um, do you continue to have to educate yourself or things changing? Mm -hmm. I know your tools are probably changing because of the way everything is so much. I I am sure that somebody who was in your profession 30 years ago would never imagine the tool set that you have immediately at your fingertips. Oh gosh. Even, even me eight years ago, I'm like, Oh, things have, things change constantly. Technology is always evolving. So we're constantly learning the latest and greatest things. But at the end of the day, it's all about not necessarily it's the latest. So it has to be greatest is does it add value? Does it make sense? Does it make us work smarter, not harder? those kind of things, if we can embrace those things, that's super important. But yeah, things change so quickly. And I think just being, um, being open to change because the thing is, is nothing stays the same. What's that phrase? It's like the only constant in life is change. Yeah. That, that so, that's very true. The well, earlier you realize that the better, I think. So do you have to go back to school or are there seminars? Are there things that do you have like a peer group that you reach out to and within? Yeah. So there, I'm in several Facebook groups. Some are just broadcast meteorologists. There's one specifically for female broadcast meteorologists. Um, but after I got my degree, there's really no more like formal education that I would need per se for my job. But learning on the job is a lot of experience based that I would never learn in college. It's just a different type of education, learning it firsthand and actually experiencing it kind of adds to the value of the education and the degree I got. But there are constantly, I got recently within the past couple of years, um, what we call SEALs. So it's just basically different meteorological organizations that put you through written tests. And you also go through evaluations from your peers who are in the industry about what you're doing well, what you could do better. Are you at a certain level 
uh, where you can say that I'm a certified broadcast meteorologist. And that's the distinction that kind of says like, hey, I've gone above and beyond. I've learned as much as I can. But then constantly with that seal, it's not just you earn it and then it's there for life. I have to constantly be able to take either conferences or be doing these extracurricular things. And within a certain time period, I have to complete a certain amount of hours of these to keep my seal active, which helps me continue to educate myself. Yeah. Well, that's good. That means you're not just kind of out there on your own and maybe figuring it out and maybe not. I mean, there is kind of a pathway that you follow. Yeah. And there are so many people who have done this before me and there's going to be plenty of people who do it after me. So learning from other people's experiences definitely has helped and seeing like what has worked for other people and what hasn't worked for them is definitely beneficial. So I think just in the broadcast meteorology community, everybody for the most part is very open about sharing their experiences and say, Hey, this worked really well for us. Or, Hey, we did this and it didn't, it didn't really go so well. So maybe we can tweak this. And I think we always think that we have the latest and greatest and best idea in our head, but sometimes just having somebody else's opinion from the outside there are plenty of people I ask about my job and be like, Hey, as a viewer, how would you interpret this? And they would be like this, that, and the other, I'd be like, Oh, that's not at all how I intended that to come across. Okay. Sometimes you have to think not like a scientist, but think like the audience that you're speaking to, because yeah. I can get in my own head and say, Oh yeah, this is perfect. I explained this so well, but we always joke when we first start out in college and we're, we're getting into the rhythm of being on TV, pretend like you're talking to your, to your friend or your, your grandmother. So when I go on TV, I don't try to explain it to somebody who has a meteorology degree. I'm trying to explain it to somebody who they just want to know how it's going to impact them. And so it's not necessarily dumbing it down, but it's bringing it to a point where it's understandable for everybody. And that's kind of the job. And you're constantly learning how to do that. But I always think about that. I was like, let me think like I'm talking to my Nana. Got to explain it like I'm explaining it to my Nana because my Nana can understand it. Then I know a lot of people probably will too. That's pretty good. So what do you think the difference is between wishing for your dreams and realizing your dreams? Ooh, that's a good question. I think wishing for your dreams is fun to do in your head, but I mean, you have to, you have to act on that because if you don't act on it, it's never going to happen. Nobody's dreams just fall out of the sky and go, here you go. I'm in your lap. Your dreams are all coming true. I think dreams are a combination of being intentional and putting in a lot of hard work and having good days and having bad days. But I mean, it's all fun and games up in here in your brain, but if you don't write it out, act it out, work towards it. I mean, I don't know anybody whose dreams have ever just fallen in their lap. If it has, let me know how that happened. Cause that would make life so much easier. Well, it would, but then would it, because it might not be as uh, lasting. I think the other thing too, it's just like, it's so much sweeter when you earn something and you go, I worked for that. Like I started here at point A and I made it to point B and it wasn't a straight line. It's hills and valleys and loop-de-loops and cul-de-sacs and roundabouts and roundabouts and roundabouts. But I went from point A to point B and I did that. And it's just so much more satisfying in my opinion. Maybe it's not to everybody, but to my opinion, knowing that I made it from this point to this point and I did the work in between to get there and nobody else did it. Maybe somebody else helped me. Maybe a big group of people helped me and encouraged and poured into me, but I was the one who did that work. I just think it's so much more satisfying. Yeah. Are there any big hurdles that you just keep, no matter what you do, you keep hitting them? Hmm. I'm trying to think big hurdles. I mean, I think I have, I have days where I'm like, I got it all together. This is great. 
And then sometimes I just don't, I don't know what causes like for you to feel like you're like up here on cloud nine. And then sometimes I guess clouds have edges. So you fall off of them. I think that's natural. I think that's a constant progression. Cause if not, if there's not ups and downs, then it's a plateau and just staying the same constantly, I don't think is healthy. I think growth is an important thing. I think growth can be uncomfortable, uh, whether you're growing uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I think growth is a really important thing, but I wouldn't say there's any like one particular hurdle, but I mean, I think, I feel like sometimes I have it all together. I know I come to work. I know how to do my job. I know how to interact with the public. And then sometimes I'll just have a bad week and I'm like, Oh, I haven't had, nobody said anything negative about me in like a month. And then all of a sudden it's just like my inbox is like, you talk too fast. You're too loud. I didn't like that dress. Why didn't you respond to me in 30 seconds? Why aren't you doing your job? And it's just like frustrating. And sometimes I'm like, okay, kumbaya. Let's um, loose off, take a second and breathe. It's okay. Sometimes I'm really bad at that. I just, I want to go react, 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 react. And I have to be like, okay, my reaction is a reflection of how I'm feeling. And you just take a second. So I think I have hurdles with that sometimes. Yeah. Well, you have to have, an online personality that is one way. Mm-hmm. And then you have all of the social media that can come back and forth. Yep. That's pretty hard. And social media can be kind of dangerous. What's your take on that? And, and how do you figure out your boundaries with it? The internet is the single greatest and worst thing ever. Just depends on the day that you ask me. Sometimes I'm like, wow, this is great. Because I feel like it gives my job so much more meaning and so much more dimension because I talk to a camera and yeah, I know there are other people on the other side of the screen. I don't get to physically see them or interact with them. So social media is really nice because it's a platform where I can be maybe a little bit more personal. I have more time. I can go more in depth than I can on TV since we're limited, but then it also opens you up to negativity. So it would be nice if it was hundred percent positive all the time, but is life ever hundred percent positive? No. So it really depends on the day because sometimes I'm like, if I wasn't doing what I was doing for a career, I wouldn't be on social media at all. So there's aspects of it that I really love. And there are some parts of it that just come with the territory that I'm like, give me the ick. And I always call those occupational hazards. I'm like, you know, I just realized like it's, it comes with the territory. I'm not the only person who has to do this. I'm not special in the sense that I'm the only person who gets harassed or spoken down to online that happens. But at the end of the day, realizing that other people's words come from their thoughts and their brains and their feelings, and that doesn't have anything to do with me. And somebody else's opinion about you is not actually relevant to you or defines who you are as a person. Remembering that sometimes, don't get me wrong, I'm human, so I forget it. But reminding myself of the fact that what other people think about you is their business and not yours is a really crucial thing, I think, when it comes to handling things on social media. I completely agree with you. And then there's the aspect of sometimes people think that they know you intimately because they follow you. They see this, they, they know about your dog. They know about what you had for dinner last night. And so all of a sudden they come up and they're so friendly and, and it's like, Oh my God, I don't know you, but that's kind of, um, that's something you have to kind of figure out that probably even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, have to deal with. Nobody tells you that in college, you get your degree and you're like, yes. And I get a job on TV. The first month I lived in Alabama, I wasn't on TV 
Like I had gotten a full paycheck before I ever was on TV. And I like to tell people this story. I was driving down I-65. I'd gotten tickets to go to a baseball game free at work. And I was going to work to go get them. Like, yes, this is going to be great. And I get on the interstate behind a truck with scrap metal on the back and a piece falls out and I run it over. I mean, blowout tire dunzo. Oh. So I'm on the side of the interstate at the end of July. I've not been on TV yet, but I've been working at my job for maybe two or three weeks. And I tell people the difference between people in the South and the people in the North is if I was on the side of the road on the interstate, I don't think anybody would have stopped for me. And that's not wrong. None of those people know me. I would never fault anybody for not stopping on the side of the road. I had AAA. I'd already called for help. It was all good. I was handling the situation. I was being an adult. Look at me. <laughs> in the South, though, in the hour it took AAA to get there, I think it was a combination of the fact that I was on the side of the road, but I also had an out-of-state tag at the time. I had 10 people stop and go, do you need help? Do you have a spare tire? Do you need to help you? And I had to be like, oh, no, thank you. Thank you so much. And I know for a fact, none of those people stopped because they knew who I was. I was just a random person to them. They had no idea what I did for a living. Fast forward maybe three or four weeks. Okay, now I'm on TV. Now people recognize me. I go to Walmart. People stare at you. You're sitting at a restaurant. You're having a dinner and people are staring at you. And you're like, do I have something in my teeth? Like what's going on? <laughs> people don't, you don't get prepared for that. Nobody tells you. Yeah. But then you sit there and you think to yourself, sometimes it can, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's kind of annoying. 99% of the time it's not though, because I think to myself, well, those people didn't care. They wouldn't watch. And I, my job would be obsolete basically. So I do work in an industry that is dependent on people wanting to watch and being interested and knowing the information I'm giving is valuable. But at the end of the day, I like the fact that I am able to show the, the side of me and as much as me as I feel comfortable with. Nobody ever says you have to show 100% of you. There's still plenty of things that people don't know about me. And then I get to keep close to my, my best. And I, that's what I like about social media. And what I do is that I'm able to share the parts and pieces of myself, not just the good, the bad too, but I'm allowed to say, I can give you as much as I want and what I feel comfortable with. And I don't have to give you any more than that. Cause I don't owe any more of that to anybody. Right. Um, but yeah, nobody really tells you people come to you and they're like, Oh, you know, I saw you. I didn't want to bother you. And I go, it's not a bother. Now it all is about your intention. Now, if you come up to me, gums of and going like, I don't like this, that I'm going to be like, mm, this is not a productive conversation. But like I was in the Walmart self-checkout once and I saw a, a younger kid. I mean, not a teenager, but not like a five-year-old. And they were wearing a really cool sweatshirt with like a cat and lightning bolts on it. And they were watching me and I noticed. So I turned around. I was like, hey, I really like your sweatshirt. And their mom was like, oh, they, we didn't want to bother you. I was like, it's okay. Y'all want to take a picture, blah, 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 blah. And then I got like three or four Facebook messages later that night saying, hey, I saw what you did for that kid. That was really, really cool. Somebody who was not associated with that party. Right. So it teaches you that people are always watching. Um, But then at the end of the day, I'm like, it's not a bother. I mean, I know what I do for a living. It means that people are interested and I appreciate that. Um, But I also appreciate people who do it with the right intentions. Because at the end of the day, I always think to myself, okay, if I wasn't on TV and I was quote unquote normal, would I sit on the couch and watch a broadcaster and go, I don't like that dress. Let me get my phone out and send them an email. (laughs) I wouldn't do that. That's me constructive criticism is always very much welcomed, but just nastiness in general, like that's not, we don't, we don't tolerate that. And I know that nastiness is not because of me hurt people, hurt people. So if you're having a bad day, sometimes you take it out on somebody else. So at the end of the day, it comes with the territory. Yeah. So we, 
have been talking a lot, but I do want to touch on um, you are a dog lover. And so I am. when you are, when you, you mentioned that you got your dog right after you moved here. And so you were by yourself. So that's one way that you um, kind of handled a little bit of loneliness. So mm-hmm. talk to me about being a dog owner. A lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't do that. You don't know what you're going to be doing. You develop all, all of a sudden got this, all, all this responsibility. So what does being a dog owner mean to you? Oh, you sound like my father. So when I drove down here <laughs> with my part? parents, they, they then they then flew home when I dropped off the airport. The last thing my father said to me before he left was don't get a dog. Cause he knows me. He knows not. I love you. I'm proud of you. If you need me, call me. It was don't get a dog. So what did I do? I went and got, got a dog. dog. So the story of Tanner, AKA tan man, AKA my baby, um, yes, I know he's 45 pounds and he's covered in four, uh, fur and has four legs, but he is still my child. I didn't birth him, but he is my child. He is my meaning for life. Uh, I started work here at WSFA on a Tuesday. Thursday is pet pal day. So it was my third day at work and Tanner was the first dog they brought in. And in the sense, um, you would probably say, oh, well, she just got the first dog that came in. Oh, nay, nay. I loved border collies so much as a child that I had a life-size stuffed animal of a border collie. That's how much I love border collies. So my Tanner walked through the door looking all border collie-ish and they thought he's a stray. They're like, he's border collie mix. Come to find out I DNA tested him and he's got like 4% border collie in him, but that's neither here nor there. And, and I went get your attention. I was like, Oh, I'm in trouble. So I went up to him and I'm now very, very close with the head of the Montgomery Humane Society. Her name's Lee Turbert. She brings the pets in every week. She's like, hi, my name's Lee. This is Tanner. And I was like, hey, Tanner. Not knowing anything about his personality or his temperament, I go, Tanner, if you want me to adopt you, give me a big kiss. And he starts licking on my face. And he doesn't just lick anybody. He gives me kisses, but he just doesn't. So the fact that he did that, I go, this is a sign from the heavens. This is my dog. So we do the segment on TV. I'm not in the segment but I'm in the studio watching it. She brings the dog upstairs and I chase after her. I go, please don't let anybody adopt him. And she goes, he's been in the shelter for six months. He got brought in on New Year's Eve of 2013. I moved to Alabama July 1st. And this is now like July 10th, 11th. So he's been in the shelter for six months, unadopted. The sweetest thing, loves anything that breeds. Like my dog loves everything and anything. So the fact that he was in the shelter for six months sweetest little boy, full of energy, loving. How is he not adopted? And she goes, well, we put him on TV because he's been here for a while. And so usually when they go on TV, they get adopted pretty quick, usually by the end of the day. And he's been here a really long time. He's the sweetest boy. We don't know why. And I'd like to think that it's because he knew I was coming. So Thursday, they close. I get off work and I go, if he's there on Saturday, I'm going to be there first thing in the morning. And I went to the shelter and I go, I'm here to see Tanner. They put him out in the back. We play. I go, I'm in an apartment. Like I just moved. I want to make sure as much as I want to make sure he fits me. I want to make sure I fit him too. Cause I'm be, I'll be doing him a disservice. If I bring him in an apartment and he's a border collie and he's energetic, I say, can I bring him home for like the weekend and try? And they go, sure. But just if you decide that you're not going to adopt him, um, just like bring him back sooner rather than later. Cause we don't want him to get too attached or away from the shelter thinking that he's going to get adopted and then not. 
Oh, oh it was, it was all over. I had no furniture because I was an RA in college. So I never lived in my own apartment. So I always lived in like student housing. Oh, yeah. So when I moved here, I had stuff, but like I had no furniture. I had two Adirondack chairs and we bought a mattress the day I moved here. He runs up the stairs to my second story apartment, walks right in the bedroom and sits right down on the bed. And I go, there we go. You're home, man. And ever since then, he's been my baby. Best choice I ever made. But the funny part is, is back to the original, don't get a dog. Uh, the station did my bio and my like third cousin saw it online. My dad still has a flip phone. So he's like not on the internet. <laughs> and um, he calls me about a month later and he goes, who's Tanner? And I go, oh no, I've been found out. I didn't tell him because I wanted him to be proud of me. And I went, okay, well, like, don't be mad. But I just like was going to, you know, have him for six months and show you that I was responsible. And he's like, whatever, <laughs> you got to take care of him. And I was like, I do. And I know. And that's the thing about being a dog owner is like, I would do anything for him. And don't get me wrong. It's expensive. He's on like prescription food. He gets, tr- he eats better than some humans, <laughs> but he's my baby. And I, yeah. I work hard to have the yard that my dog deserves. I'm proud of that. Again, um, something that just continues to go through you is your intentionality. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, part of why you do what you do makes the life that you want to have. And, and I think that's incredible. Um, we've talked about a lot of different things. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would Ooh. like to share that we, we do? How much time you got? There's a lot well, of things. I got more than you probably. <laughs> no, I feel like we talked about a, a lot of really good conversations and we could go deeper into any and all of those things. But I think at the end of the day, um, just kindness is the big thing. I mean, no matter what somebody does for a living, Um, I think my big thing is, is I try to meet everybody with kindness. And I think what's the point of me having this platform where my job is more visible if I can't bring positivity into the world. So, and don't get me wrong. I I have negative thoughts. I have bad days, just like everybody else. I'm human, but if I can show you that I'm human and try to bring good into your life at the end of the day, that's, that's my goal besides giving you an accurate forecast. That is very admirable. Um, if you had a superpower, you can have it for 24 hours. You can use it professionally or personally. What would you choose? How would you use it? And why would you choose it? Um, I've always thought it would be really cool to like, be able to know what somebody else is thinking. So like you ever talk to somebody and you go like, Hey, how do you feel about that? And they look you in the eye and say something. And you're like, I don't you. You're <laughs> lying. Like when so I'm like, Hey, how was that broccoli? And they go, mm, it was delicious. And I go, no, it wasn't. You're lying to me just on anything, whether it's something as surface based of, I didn't like that food or not, or like emotionally, I would love to be able to like, re- know what someone's thoughts are. I would, I like find it very interesting. Sometimes when people do things, I'd be like, I want to dissect your brain and understand why you think the way that you think. So if I could have a superpower, I'd want to know people's thoughts, not like Bruce Almighty, where I hear everybody's thoughts in my head, like he's God, but just like be able to look at somebody and be like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, I don't think that it would be, I don't think it would be beneficial for anybody, but me, I think it's, I'm just a little nosy and I just, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Satisfied. (laughs) It's like the question, if you won the lottery, what would you do? I yeah. thought about the force like if I had a superpower, I don't need to be invisible. There are plenty of times that people don't notice me whatsoever. I would be like, I want to know your true thoughts. Yeah. Like, 
100%. This is what I'm feeling. Because I think as humans, sometimes we, we uh, dilute our thoughts because we think it's going to maybe not hurt someone's feelings or we're trying to spare someone's feelings or I want the truth, nothing but the truth. And I always tell people, I go, I'd rather you tell me the truth when you're feeling it and when it's happening versus you maybe fib a little bit, not necessarily lie, but maybe stretch the truth or say what you think I want you to say. And then six months from now, I find out that was not accurate because then I'm going to be more mad. I might be mad in the moment, but I I will get over it. But if I find out six months from now that like you weren't being 100% honest or factual about something because you're trying to spare my feelings, that I don't know why that like infuriates me. So if I had a superpower, I'd want to know what people think but I wouldn't want to give it up after 24 hours. I'd want to keep it for life. Yeah. You'd have a hard time um, going back to not being able to. That's true. Um, But I I think that's really important and good. And and again, it goes back to that authenticity and um, Mm -hmm. you expect that from others as well as give it yourself. So uh, Amanda, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, I'm on social media, Facebook and Twitter. Just look up Amanda Curran, C-U-R-R-A-N-W-S-F-A. You'll probably find a combination of that online. Um, or you can watch me on WSFA. I usually work Monday through Fridays during the day, um, but I'm constantly working mornings, evenings, nights, severe weather. Uh, so tune in if you want to. We have an app. You can watch us for free on our website. But yeah, send me a message on Twitter, on Facebook. I'm always giving a forecast, posting something funny. Uh, hashtag Tanner Tuesdays has really taken off in the past year. I thought that was a fun idea. I go, what if I like dedicated a day to posting about my dog? And I remember somebody was like, that sounds stupid. And I was like, ha, bet. And I did it. And now I get so many people that are like, it's eight o'clock in the morning. It's Tanner Tuesday. Where's our Tanner Tuesday post? And I'm like, people, give me a second to wake up. Thank you. This has been of fabulous. course. I've enjoyed so it. So fun. Thank you for having me. Definitely. Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it, from family, to philosophy, to work, to meal prep, to beautifully surviving life. And hey, if I could ask a big favor of you, go to iTunes and give us a five rating. The more people who rate us, the more we get this podcast out there. Thanks. I appreciate it.